a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Who's weirder, you or me? You just put the law on my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Egan. Okay, so today we are back from summer vacation, but we're heading out on the road again. But this time we're outlaws out on the road. Yeah. So both of these movies, are essentially, originally we thought, hey, let's do a road movies episode. It just so happens that both of these movies are about people on the run from the law. <laughs> while they're on the road um, they're outlaw road movies outlaw road movies so this is gonna be a lot of fun weirdly and I also think so. <laughs> i think very interesting in, uh, both of them go into some darker territory uh, mm-hmm. i think very effectively at that so i'm bringing this week from director clint eastwood from 1993 a perfect world and i am bringing from 1991 ridley scott directed Thelma and Louise, which is actually, I guess, it's 1991. That means it's his 30th anniversary this year. So, well, there we go. Happy, Happy 30th anniversary, anniversary Thelma, Thelma and Louise. Yeah. But first, okay. uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> a perfect world. Now, this is a little bit more of a deep cut. Okay, this movie came out the year after Clint Eastwood won the Academy Award for Unforgiven, which was sort of universally seen as a modern American classic Western and was immediately embraced by critics, audiences, everybody, you know, the Academy praised that movie up and down the yin yang and with good reason it's a good movie movie. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) a perfect world got kind of lost in the shuffle uh, which is interesting because Kevin Costner was very hot at this time Laura Dern was on her way up definitely she would do Jurassic Park that same year Um, Clint Eastwood of course like I just mentioned was very well renowned and respected now as a director more than he ever had been before. And actually as a star as well, because in the early 90s, he had done In the Line of Fire, which got him a lot of praise for his acting, which hadn't really been the case <laughs> all that often. You know, it's like squinty face, growly Clint Eastwood, you know. And he is that here. Um, but he also got high praise for his performance in Unforgiven. And I think with good reason. So it's, and this movie was praised by critics when it came out, but it just didn't really find an audience because I don't think people knew what to make of it when it first came out, which is a little bit understandable. Yeah, it makes sense. It's a dark film in a lot of ways, but it has plenty of humor still. 
Oh, yeah. For me, this is my favorite Kevin Costner performance. I've never seen him like this before, and it's really interesting to watch him in this role, so I think it might be mine, too. Yeah, he's at times frightening. He's at times mm-hmm. just very sympathetic, at times very funny. It's he's good r- at all of it. Yeah. Really nuanced and fascinating performance. You ready to just dive into this one and see, sure. see where it takes Let's go us? Go for it. Okay, yeah, so this opening... Knowing nothing about the movie, when you when I first saw this, I saw this when it came out on video. And with that opening, just seeing Kevin Costner just lying in the grass with money flying around him. The Casper mask. Looking up into the sky. He sees the helicopter. He sees the bird. He sees the sun. You're kind of like, if you just know the title and that opening shot, it's like, here we are. We're in a perfect world of some sort. And we catch up with what the reality of this is at the Mm -hmm. end of the movie. But I think it's kind of a beautiful way to start the movie. It is. (laughs) Even though it's that sort of bookend thing, which can sometimes be a gimmick. I think it works really well here. Also surprise is this is a Halloween movie. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's a non-horror Halloween movie. It, It goes to Halloween night and we meet this family. We're meeting Philip, the little boy, and his family. Now, their families introduced, we discover quickly that they're Jehovah's Witnesses, so they don't participate in Halloween or Christmas or various other holidays. And that becomes important. To the story mm-hmm. as it goes along. At the same time, it's being intercut with a prison escape by Butch, played by Kevin Costner and Terry. One line as they're escaping is, I don't like you. Mm-hmm. As soon as we are done with this, we're parting ways. You know, as soon as we don't need each other anymore, you are gone. And Terry's like, I feel the same way. There's a real antagonism between these two right from the beginning. And you see here and definitely later on why he doesn't like Terry, because Terry is really gross, bad person. He is one of the most unlikable characters that I've (laughs) that I see in a movie that I like a lot. You know, he's one of these guys where when he gets what happens to him, you're kind of like, well, he had it coming. <laughs> in you a way, know? yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not sad about it. <laughs> no, no. So as they escape, they... I don't want to just go plot by plot by plot, but this is... We got to do the setup. This yeah. is the setup of it. Um, the setup is they're looking for a car to swap out. Butch wants a Ford. They, yeah, Butch wants a Ford. That's important to him. <laughs> when we find out that he wants a Ford because his daddy always drove Fords, that's an interesting thing. Because he talks about how his father is no good, but then he's kind of longing to be with his father again and connect with his father throughout the course of the movie. It's a fascinating element of his character, I think. Yeah. So anyway, um, they get into this house. Yeah, the the mom is up. I guess the Jehovah's Witnesses get up super early, like when it's still dark outside for some reason. Yeah, I don't know if that's a religious thing or if it's just yeah. her family. I think it's I probably just about. her family. Um, but she's up early making eggs for her children. The kid, Philip, that we follow through much of the movie has two sisters as well. And uh, there's no father around anymore. But uh, we have this situation where Terry breaks into the house and there's a scuffle <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, Butch comes in after him 
And he sees that the gun that they had, this pistol that they had, has fallen at this boy's feet. Now, Philip, at this point, he's got like a nightshirt that he was sleeping in and his underwear and a pair of socks, and that's it. You know, he doesn't have any pants on. <laughs> it's kind of... <laughs> Kind of, kind of an important thing in, yeah. in a weird way. It's a weird it comes detail. Up yeah. It's a weird detail, but it's kind of important to the plot as well. He says, all right, Philip, you reach down there and pick up that pistola for me. and Now point it at me. I'll say, stick him up. And he's just sort of That's taken. That's a really interesting part, yeah. He's immediately. Like, why exactly he does that? I think he's taken with him already. Maybe. He's intrigued by this kid because I, something about Butch and kids, it's not It's not anything that is abusive no. or gross. In fact, it's the opposite. Uh, he's very protective of children. And that's a very important part to his character. But Terry brings up a good point. How Because the neighbor comes in with his gun. And Terry's like, how are we going to get out of here without a hostage? And he's planning on taking the mother. And Butch says, we'll take the boy. Because they both got a hold of either one of them. And I think in this part, too, that I kind of got a little sense that maybe Butch, even though it's more dangerous and kind of more wrong to take the kid, I almost got the sense that he says to take the kid instead of the mother because he was afraid that Terry would rape her. Because... Yeah, I think that's when he's distinct possibility. Yes. Yeah. So that kind of gives me a little bit more soft spot for his character. <laughs> because um, when Terry first, Terry is such a gross guy when he's playing with the mom, you know, asking for ketchup on the eggs, like the way he deals with her is in a very like there's that threat. That, his intentions and, are pretty clear. Yeah. And you like you, you know, always worry about that with convicts on the run movies, you know, guys just out of prison. Yeah. You know, what do they want? Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Butch is, on the other hand, he's so averse to abuse of any kind. Yes. He's protective of the children that he encounters, but he's also protective of the women he encounters in a lot of ways because, well, we, we find out later why that is. Yes. But he is very protective against, I guess you could call it different forms of, I guess, domestic abuse. He's very protective of women in difficult situations and children. Now, we should mention this movie takes place in 1963, takes place on Halloween of 1963, and that's kind of important. This takes place in Texas as well. So we meet Red, played by Clint Eastwood, and Sally Gerber, played by Laura Dern, who is a criminologist. And they find out about this situation of Butch's escape in particular, Butch and Terry. And so they're given this tour, I guess, of (laughs) this new... Well, when Laura Dern first arrives, too, like, they assume that she's the the new new secretary. secretary. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a little bit of that, the guys being kind of averse to having her there in the first place because she's a criminologist. She's like, I'm going to come in here with all this information to help you guys but they're not into the the jargon and all the yeah. psychology stuff they're like no this is just a manhunt and yeah. we're gonna catch them like good old-fashioned police work <laughs> yeah it's not only the gender element though that's a huge element to it it's also yeah. this new generation this new fangled thing too i think is part of what they are objecting to yeah so they're given this little tour of this, what is it, an Airstream trailer. Yeah. It's sort of a headquarters on wheels is the whole idea behind this. And it's supposed to be for use by the governor. And he's going to take it to this big parade in Dallas. And hey, President Kennedy's coming to that. So that's how we know it's 1963. 
uh, because this is literally three weeks before the assassination of President Kennedy. Uh, That's a minor detail, but I think it sets the time and place that we're talking about here. This is the last gasp of innocence, you know, Mm -hmm. for for the United States in the modern world is sort of that is put as the line of demarcation in so many different kinds of movies. American Graffiti is a good example. It's supposed to be like the last summer of innocence before Kennedy's assassination in Vietnam and what the 60s became. So Yes. So this is kind of a darker story for that period of time as well, though. So it's interesting. Then we're also introduced to Bradley Whitford as Bobby Lee. Now, <laughs> Bradley Whitford as Bobby Lee <laughs> is... Uh, <laughs> Here's the thing. I love Bradley Whitford so yes. much. He's exactly. hilarious. <laughs> and so seeing him in this, like, again, kind of like with Kevin Costner, just like seeing him as I've never seen him before, but he, he does a good job, even though he, uh, he's kind of a skis and you hate him. This was one of Bradley Whitford's early roles in a quote unquote prestige picture. He had done like teen comedy. He played the uh, boyfriend in Adventures in Babysitting. That's an asshole too. Uh, so I don't remember the, him in that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which when I last saw, it, I was like, I know who that guy is, and he just looks so different, even in this, as compared to Cabin in the Woods or I love him on the West Wing or Get Out, the West Wing. Yeah. So he's kind of ultimately the villain of the movie. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, but you don't necessarily get a sense of that at this point. He's just sort of. He's very much like the uh, the dark and mysterious FBI agent, you know, like with the suit and the glasses and very stern demeanor about him. Yeah. He doesn't say a whole lot. Yeah. Especially in these opening sections. He's just sort of watching and he's especially watching Laura Dern with a sense of contempt, I think. Even though they're both on the same side. I know. Whatever. So essentially, those are our core characters. On one side, we've got Terry and Butch with Philip. And then on the other side, we've got the law. So Clint Eastwood, Laura Dern, Bradley Whitford, a few other folks that are working with them. I think the movie also does does a good job of a couple of things. First of all, it's so easy to be charmed by Butch throughout Mm -hmm. the course of this movie. But it keeps on reminding us that he is dangerous in various ways. I love the scene where he's talking about the difference between a threat and a fact. Yeah. When, uh, <laughs> yeah, Terry's, they're driving and Terry is uh, shooting the water tank. Mm-hmm. We only got so many bullets left and you're shooting a water tank. Isn't he kind of dumb, Philip? is what he says. And yeah, I love that whole scene. I knew that's where you were going because <laughs> yeah. I think that's perfect. It's so great. And then he says, Philip, take the wheel. <laughs> You know, which is sort of the first of the driving elements with Philip, which are funny. And in two seconds, I'm going to break your nose. That's a threat Mm -hmm. that he actually punches him in the nose and his nose is broken. And it's like, and that's a fact. (laughs) And And then Terry says, I'm going to kill you for that. And Butch says, that's that's a threat. threat. (laughs) You're a fucking crazy man. And that's a fact. I do believe you're starting to get the hang of this. (laughs) Really great stuff. There are several really tense scenes in this movie. Mm -hmm. And one of them is where they stop at the convenience store and there's like a gas station. They get gas and uh, there's also a cornfield nearby. Butch gives Philip the gun and tells him to point it at Terry. Then Butch goes inside to get the supplies. 
and Terry is just sort of threatening Philip. I don't know if you want to mention the... (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) Okay. For some... Okay, there's two parts in this that are very weird. For some reason, Terry makes a comment about Philip's penis being small. Yes. (laughs) And which makes Philip self-conscious. So he looks... And, you know, it's important to the scene, but it's just sort of like, it's, it's weird like, when you have a grown man cool. talking yeah. about this. And then, but it's also sets, a, it continues the fact that Terry is just a scum of the earth yeah. kind of guy. But he grabs the gun out of Philip's hand and discovers that it's empty. Then Philip runs out into the cornfield and there's a chase through that. Just that crawling through the, crawling, the corn and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's so effectively done. And you just see how absolutely incredibly protective Butch is of this kid that he's just met. Because mm-hmm. there's one point, too, in that earlier scene where Terry kind of smacks Philip on the head. Yes. And you just see like a quick little look mm-hmm. uh, on Butch's face. Like he's, no, dude, I'm not cool with that. Yeah. Whenever that happens, there's a complete change in his demeanor. Yes. And he will stop and change course whenever that happens. It's like three different times, I want to say. Three times that I can And the last time is when he really loses it. Yes. That's the other incredibly tense scene of the movie. Yes. What I love about this, okay, Butch has the gun pointed at Terry and he tells Philip to go back to the car. Now, from the angle that the camera is set, you can see that there are bullets in the chamber. You can see the edges of the rounds. They're just barely in there. It's a detail that you may not notice the first time, but I really liked that element because we know, if we're watching really closely as an audience, that now Butch has the upper hand and he mm. may well kill Terry. And Terry's like, ah, oh, the, the, the gun's empty. Like, what are you going to do? Hit me with it? What you going to do? Hit me with it. Yeah, that's the line. And he pulls out the shells from his pocket. And then it cuts to Philip and you hear the bang. Uh, you don't see him kill Terry. Which I thought was good. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was a good was way good to do too. that. I thought that was a good way to do it, too. I think it's also a reminder of how dangerous he is, mm-hmm. you know, that he is willing to murder people. We don't know to what extent yet, but we don't know his whole story. He's still an enigma to us as much as he is to Philip. You don't get the sense that he would ever hurt Philip. No. You're never really too scared for Philip in a way, which sounds kind of strange because it's like a hostage situation with a a criminal, but you never really think that he would ever do anything to hurt him, which is important. But at the same time, we do get that sense, you know, Butch really is dangerous. Yeah, but he is dangerous to other people. To other people. And I think Costner just plays him so beautifully because he skates that line between being charming and likable and being really, really scary sometimes. There's a couple moments where he just has a look. Like I said before, like I've never seen Kevin Costner do that. No. I believed it. I believed him as this very intimidating, threatening character. It's a role that it's surprising he was considered for. I mm-hmm. mean, he yeah. at, this, at this point he was doing Bull Durham and Field of Dreams, you know. Yeah. He had done Dances with Wolves, you know, where he's sort of the clear good guy, I guess, in these movies, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Whereas here, he's an ambiguous character. And he's played the characters like that since, but uh, this is something that I just 
did not expect, especially at the time Kevin Costner was able to do. And it still takes me by surprise to some extent when I watch it now, even after having seen it three or four times myself. It did for me too. Yeah. Now, then we're getting more looks at more looks into Sally. I think Sally trying to use her wit, her intelligence to break into this boys club. And this is where she has the conversation where she just goes one on one because the guys are just kind of not having it. And she goes back and talks to Red directly. And he's putting Geritol in his coffee, (laughs) (laughs) which is a lovely touch because Clint Eastwood is hilarious yeah Clint Eastwood is well aware that he's playing characters that are past their prime now he's not playing Dirty Harry anymore Mm -hmm. you know he's playing characters that are on the downward slide that are getting closer to their retirement trying to hold on to those vestiges of youth still Mm -hmm. I didn't catch that the first time I caught it like the second time I watched it and he was like oh there's my Geritol and I was like (laughs) yeah it's very funny I like that (laughs) it's a it's a running gag throughout the movie but it's subtle Uh and she has that whole conversation where she says I'm one of the two most intelligent people in this fiasco yeah (laughs) she first brings up the idea to them that like what are you gonna do when they split up Uh uh-huh and it was like something that they had never even thought of before. This is why you need her here because it's early on in criminology and studying the psychology of criminals. Yeah. But she's already like with um, when she actually starts talking as if she is butch. Yeah. And that's something that we see more in, you know, like 90s movies. Yeah. But those all take place in the 90s, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, interesting to, to see this in its early inceptions of that. But she really kind of lays it all out to Eastwood. He doesn't show it that much, but I think he there's a sense of, I like her. Yeah. She's good. And I'm going to do what... He, he's interesting because he's kind of keeping up his act of being the leader of this crew, but he also wants her to be respected, I think, yeah. for what she has to offer, which is considerable. And then the great question that he asks, so who's the other one? Who's the <laughs> other most intelligent person in this? And he, I think, expects her to say you, but no, yeah. it's Butch Haynes. Uh, it says we tested him in prison. So he is one of the two most intelligent people in this movie. And you see that throughout the course of the film in just the way he handles people and how observant he is. Yes. And how he is thinking ahead of all of his options. He's like a chess player with some of these things that he does. And just the views of the world that he has that Mm -hmm. he shares with Philip, too, like the whole conversation about the car as a time machine. Time machine. Like when he stops, this is the present. Enjoy it while it lasts. Uh (laughs) Then we're time traveling through Texas. And then we also find that uh, Eastwood is asked, you know, if we have a clear shot at him, do we take it? And Eastwood says no, which is an interesting piece that you're right is <laughs> comes into play later. And in a scene which that I, think I that's init- why. initially thought was maybe extraneous to the movie, but I uh, think is very key to the movie, especially to Eastwood's character. And, you know, then we find more out about Philip's father, about. Butch's father. Mm -hmm. Uh, Philip's father is just out of the picture. We don't really know why or what that whole story is. And then we have this great line. You know, you and I got a lot lot in common, Philip. We're both (laughs) handsome devils. Yep. We both love R.C. Cola. R.C. Cola. (laughs) 
And both of us got an old man that ain't worth a damn. I think this is after the part where they steal the new car because he's he's peeing out. <laughs> out <Yeah. in> the, <laughs> he's peeing out the field because because oh, yeah, uh, he asked me, he's like, damn, how many RC coals did you drink? Four. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also a key scene because because while they're stealing the car, the owner comes after them and sort of is hanging on the side of the car and Philip is sitting on the passenger side, and Philip is obviously in the passenger side. Now Butch pulls out his gun, mm-hmm. ready to shoot him, but instead Philip actually bites his hand and he falls off the car, and they escape. And so there's a little bit of that cementing of the partnership. Because also, I would say in this scene and uh, several times throughout the movie, like when they go to the the friendlies store mm-hmm. and in this scene, he has the chance to leave Philip behind. Yes. Many times throughout the movie. And Philip has the chance to stay behind. Yes. I think that's really interesting because it's, it's almost like, because he, in a way he does kind of need him like as a hostage, you know, to have that kind of leverage if he ever gets caught. Yeah. But then he's never like, like like we said, he's very protective of him. He's never like manhandling him or abusive or saying like, come with me, come with me. He gives, it's like he gives him the choice. He doesn't even yell at him until a key moment later. Now they find the car and they find the body in the trunk. Now there's an assumption at this point, I think, that Butch is the one that killed the driver of that first car. They got him out of prison. But I don't, it's not, there's, they, they don't killed. The, I, I should say the, the, the police assume that it was Butch. That's true. Yeah. But I think it was Terry, especially if we're going by what Butch says at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, then it was Terry that killed this guy. And they're just assuming that Butch is the one that did. I believe him. I do I too. That's probably Terry. Yeah. Cause Terry is kind of a loose cannon mm-hmm. kind of guy. So that great scene is that you were just talking about at the friendlies. That <laughs> whole sequence is just tour de force. It is. In my opinion. You have the suspense because now we've gotten on Costner's side by this point. You know? Yep. I find myself, I don't want him to get caught. Not really, yeah. Because <laughs> you're seeing, you hear the broadcast on the television. You know, the owner picks up his phone and... That's uh, that's another one. That's what I was talking about with like the Kevin Costner looks. Uh huh. Like that all he has to do in this scene, he's got his glasses like kind of halfway on. He just gives him a little little you know, shake, shakes, of the little head. shake of the head. That's all he has to do. It's so great. I love that. It's so good. And then you know Philip with the lady showing <laughs> the Casper costume, mm-hmm. and she asks, "Oh, what'd you go as this year?" And Philip says, "A bandit." Bandit. <laughs> I like that line. That That's good. a great moment. Um, <laughs> this is where Butch starts calling him Buzz. Too. Butch starts calling him Buzz. And then all that stuff with the police cars is so great. I mean, that's a great action sequence. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of action sequences in this, but that one is just fantastic because you can see Butch sort of. Like I said, that chess player ideal where he's weighing his options while he's sitting in the car and then he knows what he Mm -hmm. has to do and he just hits reverse and backs up into that car, into the police car and sends it into the building. You have Philip at the same time as shoplifting the (laughs) costume and he's standing out front and the ladies who are working in the store, it's like, he's got the Casper costume. It's like, what a cost, you know what? It's 50% off anyway. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) It's probably, probably 
you know, $3 maybe at most. <laughs> That's another moment, you know, yeah. Costner is, um, the police are on him, chasing him. And he stops by the store to pick up Philip and yeah. he says, it's up, it's up to you, Buzz. I love that part. And mm -hmm. then he runs and sort of jumps in through the window and he yells out, you ain't so friendly. Because <laughs> she's like, you little shit. Shoplifting is a crime. <laughs> like, it's called friendly. So they have mm -hmm. to be all super smiley and friendly yeah. to the customers. And she was the one that was probably the most like over the top. But yeah, I love that little turn that she does. <laughs> it's yeah. just funny. So I want to know who that is. I've seen the actress in other stuff before. But she has that very kind of um, shrill kind of school marm thing about her. She does. Yeah. <laughs> love it but then butch seeing that he's got this bulk in his shirt it's like what do you got there a ghost suit then he says you kiped it okay i have been told all through my life oh no one's gonna kipe your stuff it's like okay why are you saying my name because <laughs> okay so i had heard for a while that my name kiper actually is the german word for thief cool um turns out it's not exactly true uh it's it. it's based on it's fisherman a carper someone who catches fish so well that's not as fun right? it's not as fun just so go, i just go with the first i just one. try and tell people it's like yeah it means thief because and go you know how people one. used to be go. named after their professions there you go <laughs> Uh, anyway. Well, I think after this moment is when they're kind of in it together fully in a way. Because, again, like he has a chance to stay there, but he's afraid that he's going to get in trouble for stealing the costume. He's afraid he's so going to. Gonna... Like, it's like a little kid weighing his options. And yeah. Not really knowing what to do. Later, and he says, I think he I'm going to go to jail or I'm going to go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Butch says, well, what's the difference? Despite what he's seen from Butch, I think he does kind of trust him a little bit i think he does in a i way? think philip does because well, he doesn't have a father figure yeah. and this guy's paid more attention and been kinder to him than any i guess man or male figure he's ever encountered in his life because it sounds yeah. like his dad wasn't so great and he doesn't really have much of a we don't see it you know he just he's got a, his family is all women so yeah. it's like he's uh -huh. got a he does see him as a father figure in a way yeah yeah I think so. I think so. Then Sally getting inside of Butch's head and speaking in his... I love that scene. In his voice. It's a great scene. And you can see that Red, or Eastwood's character, is intrigued by this. Because he starts and asking... And the other guys are too. And they are too. It's really only Bradley Whitford's character that's sort of like, that's a cute parlor trick, right? Yeah. It's where you learn a lot more about Butch mm -hmm. in his background. Yes. And she says this line in his voice as him. Where I'm going ain't near as important as why. Mm -hmm. And we don't find out why until <laughs> like the very end. And it's kind of powerful and heartbreaking. And the more I think about this movie, the more I think about it as being about fathers and sons. Mm -hmm. And so. interactions between father figures and son figures. Specifically. Not just parent-child, but specifically father son because i think eastwood has got a surrogate distance father element to butch yes, yes and and then philip and butch of course and then butch to his own father and to some extent though it's not hammered home all that often philip to his father as well now yeah, that scene you, but you learn in that scene that you know he, he killed somebody when he was eight right it was very interesting because he grew up in a brothel his mm -hmm. mom was a sex worker and i think he killed a guy that was yes. probably attacking her yep and 
his mother killed herself and just kind of gives his whole like background mm-hmm. where you learn more about him and I, she says specifically about you know his father that like he didn't really didn't meet anybody that he didn't beat up really so you get you definitely get the sense that there was abuse uh, yeah that butch was abused by his father which absolutely again is very important very much so there's a the, another great action sequence where they pass each other on the road yeah, I and love that. Part. There's the pursuit uh, after them because they, they realize it. Well, Sally realizes it, that it's him because she sees what kind of costume did he steal? And it was the because he sees she sees this little Casper, you know, hanging out the back of this window, and they turn around and pursue him. the <laughs> The trailer gets <laughs> gets unhitched from the truck, yeah. and they're both kind of rolling on the. Oh, Red's going to be pissed now. <laughs> um, <laughs> This movie is, a lot of ways, is really lean. There's not a lot of extra fat, which is typical of Eastwood's movies. There's just not really much that's extraneous at all in his Even films. though it's over two hours. Yeah. Even Yeah, it is. But it's everything is lean and mean and just straight to the point. He doesn't linger much, uh, which is kind of in response to his work with Leone. Because Leone lingers a lot. <laughs> You know, which is great. I mean, it takes like, you know, the beginning of The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, you're sitting there for 18 seconds while a dog crosses the road. <laughs> but it's it sets up a different feeling yeah. than Eastwood's going for. Eastwood's trying to tell the story efficiently and engagingly, whereas Leone's Realistically, trying to, I think. And realistically, yeah. Where Leone's trying to set up a mood and a style and an attitude. Mm-hmm. I think so the realism a, it, from yeah. this movie, too, comes from the fact that there's not a lot of music in it, especially not in the scenes where you would expect it. He lets it play out, like a, especially, I would say, in the very, very beginning when they break into Philip's house. Like you would kind of expect a big action, scary scene. You would expect some kind of like dramatic music for it, but there's not at all. It plays yeah. very real just to kind of show the realism of the situation. Yeah, and that's interesting because Eastwood is a musician. You know, he's a pianist, a jazz pianist. Uh, I, mean, I don't know how good he is, but he's written scores for a couple of his films, even. I, I think he wrote the score for Gran Torino, along with his son, I believe. Maybe Million Dollar Baby? That's Don't quote me on that. I don't know. That's, uh, that's, don't know. that's a maybe. Um, but as I recall, he's written the scores for a couple of his movies. It's very subtle here. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the music that is there is on the radio or on the phonograph. And even the ending music ties into the music that was on the phonograph. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of that going on. And Okay, so now that postcard from Alaska. We find out Butch wants to go to Alaska. They're in Texas. He's saying, <laughs> we'll get there in a couple of days, which I don't know what he's... <laughs> thinking there uh, or later on when they're like you want to you wanna try walking it it's only about 1500 miles 1500 miles yeah. <laughs> i love the look on philip's face when he says that too yeah but then we're going trick-or-treating and and <laughs> philip they're almost just, out of supplies they're almost out of supplies we're going trick-or-treating philip stops in his tracks and says i can't go trick-or-treating it's against our religion and <laughs> no no offense to anyone's um religious views but the line literally is this exchange is and i i'm sorry it it makes me chuckle (laughs) and so no offense to anybody but it does make me chuckle when he says you know trick-or-treating what kind of foolishness is that and he just immediately answers jehovah's witness (laughs) and so it's 
I mean, like I said, if anyone uh, is Jehovah's Witness, I, I, I respect that sure. belief system. So I don't want to be offensive to anybody. But that is the line. And so that whole thing where he says, I'm not asking your mama and not Jehovah. Do you want to go trick or treating? And he's, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it's sweet. You know, and mm-hmm. and also there's I never really thought about it before, but he keeps trying. Philip keeps trying to hold uh, Butch's hand as they're walking away. And yes. Butch keeps on taking his hand away. Then eventually he just he just lets him hold his hand. Mm-hmm. And it's a sweet little moment. And it's kind of beautiful. They go trick or treating to like a woman's <laughs> house. A woman's <laughs> house. <laughs> this poor woman, because she thinks, oh, I had a lot of popcorn balls that I made yesterday. <laughs> She's just a sweet woman, and yeah. uh, then Butch sort of flashes his gun. Flashes his gun that he's carrying yeah. on his belt. So Philip doesn't see, which I think no. is important. They go through the whole sort of ritual of you know trick or treating with your kid too. You no, know, mm-hmm. they put they put the stuff in. Says, "All right, Philip, what do you say?" So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because you know if you've ever taken young kids trick-or-treating you always remind them you know what do you say <laughs> it's very funny then he pulls the phone cord out of the wall <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, as they're leaving and then philip in the car making mustard sandwiches and gross i know it's gross but it's all they have it's all they have and they have bread and mustard and that's about it and he knocks the car into neutral and it starts going backwards down the hill well at the same time well butch has scoped out that road station block. wagon He scoped out the family at the station wagon, but he also went over the hill and he saw the roadblock, which is interesting. I'm not really sure what tips him off to going to look for that roadblock because it's almost like he suspects that there's something ahead because he walks up over the hill. Well, he knows that they're on to them because they were Mm -hmm. chased by them in the airstream. True. So he and, knows that they're close, at least. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is where we meet Bob and <laughs> his family in the station wagon, which uh, it's it's kind of nice. They're having fun and everything. Everything's cool. They get through the roadblock without any real trouble. And... Well, before that, there's like two times where Philip almost <laughs> runs, runs the car the... that they had. The car that they had into the station wagon. Bob's like, it's brand new. It's only got like, what, 500 miles on it or yeah. something. He just doesn't want his car to get hit. Right. He's so concerned <laughs> and, about and his Butch car. And Butch is so, I don't know. It's like That's kind of an interesting scene too. He's, he's letting Philip learn how to do things. He is. Throughout the movie too, you know? He's just, yeah, letting him sort of figure his way out of things. Yeah. And, and he, he's doesn't, just he doesn't panic stand- too much. He's just like, hit the brake, Philip. And he's just standing there. Yeah. And he doesn't flinch and the car stops inches away from him. Right. Mm-hmm. I knew I never doubted you for a minute, Philip. You know, yeah. I love that. And you see the trust and on coming from both sides. Yes. It's kind of makes it an endearing relationship. But even though again, it really shouldn't be. But it should. not Yeah, be. it is. But, but we're just kind of reminded again and again not to get too comfortable with Butch mm-hmm. because, OK, when they're all in the station wagon together and they're all having a good time then the daughter like spills some of the soda or something like that out of her i mean for goodness sake you give this little kid an open glass i know it's gonna <laughs> spill it's like well there goes the new car, a smell, car. And she just totally freaks out on this kid and you can see butch's face just go stone mm-hmm. at that moment because she really kind of lays into them for no good reason which you know frankly parents do 
I don't know if that's something that happened all the time with this mother or not. You don't really get the sense. Sometimes, sometimes you just kind of unexpectedly lose your temper. And I mm-hmm. hate to admit that, but it's true. Sure. And that is where... At both of the kids, too. Like, at both of the kids, yes. Like, she grabs the little boy and, like, slams him down. Like, sit on your bottom, you know, and don't yeah. move. Now, Bob and, is kind of like, well, come on, chill out a little bit. Yeah. You know, he's 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 pretty chill about the whole thing. And it's his, he specifically, his he car. specifically says, Daddy still loves you. Yes. <laughs> After she it, does that. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> bit of a knock on his wife. Yes. <laughs> um, I know she's being a bitch, but I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Butch's reaction is is just, he just goes completely cold. Because mm-hmm. before that, he's sort of laughing along with them. And he's sort of snuggling Philip. It's kind of sweet oh when they get stopped at the roadblock and then yeah. they get stopped at the roadblock it just kind of holds him like it's his kid uh which you know he's saying that he's his father so he's could be i'm playing the part but i think there is real affection there as well he just says to bob this will be just fine bob and they pull over says i have one more request <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's the, the, the perfect fam- transition. <laughs> families at the side of the road and they're driving off in their station wagon. It's like, keep it under 40 for the first 500 miles or so. They just peel out. Yep. <laughs> I feel like I'm going plot by point by plot point and I didn't really intend to do that. <laughs> but I think it's funny because the movie sort of unfolds its characters by plot point. And there is like a gradual progression of their relationship and deepening of the relationships. So. It's okay. That's a good. This is a good way to do it too. <laughs> yeah, I think I, this is not what I intended, but I think this is kind of how the movie unfolds its characters is mm-hmm. scene by scene. And there's a telling line here from Eastwood where he says, "I kind of hope they make it across the border and let the feds handle it." Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, "I don't want to really keep up this pursuit. I'm doing this because I have to at this point." Which I think is part of that scene yeah, that you said. You're, you're you're right. You're right. And I. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I need to throw this one on again this afternoon. But <laughs> it's like, hey, we got steaks in here. We got tater tots. Well, I, tater do, tots. I do like tater tots. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Clint Eastwood lines ever, I think. <laughs> I do like tater tots. I do like tater tots. Um <laughs> And this is where Butch hears, he's he's unfamiliar with the beliefs of Philip's family. And so, yep, no Halloween, no Christmas, no birthday parties, no parties. Uh, it's like, I bet you've never been to a carnival either. So you've never been on a roller coaster. You know what cotton candy is? I, I like this scene. It says, mm-hmm. You have a red, white, and blue American right to eat cotton candy and ride roller coasters. And he straps them to the top of the car. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. You know, just seeing Philip, because Philip is pretty subdued through a lot of the movie, mm-hmm. but the just pure joy uh, on his face when he's riding on top of the station wagon. Yes. <laughs> they're just, I mean, and he's strapped in really, really tight. And you see, he's safe even though it's kind of <laughs> insanely dangerous to do this. Yes. Um, this is very much a don't try this at home kind of thing. But it's that exhilaration and joy of it all is it's it's nice. It's lovely. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's kind of a similar thing that happens in both of the movies. You know, just getting away from home and seeing the world in a different way and yeah. experiencing different things. Yeah. And letting Philip be a kid and like again you know you, yeah you don't want to be critical of somebody's religion but you know that's stuff that kids should do yeah and kids should get to like have fun and experience like 
you know, going to a carnival and riding roller coasters and eating cotton candy. And those are he doesn't even know like what color it is. Yeah, really. he says it's <laughs> red. He says it's red at first. Yeah, it's pink. And but she's like, no, it's it's pink. <laughs> now uh, Bradley Whitford's character is sort of put on the spot as really being a bad guy in this next scene. Oh, what scene are you talking where about? Where <laughs> he uh, he very aggressively, let's say, hits on Sally. Literally like physically corners her yes. in the trailer, but putting his arm up and not letting her go. Yeah. Just very threatening gesture. It really is. It really is. I mean, she's okay, and Sally's tough. I mean, she's encountered yeah. I get the feeling she's encountered these kind of guys before. Oh, for sure. And she handles it in, with her wits, but the scene also manages to set itself up for us to really dislike that character of Bobby. Yes. And and it makes the ending all the more cathartic for it. Yes. <laughs> you know. I hate what he says in the scene, too. And he's... He says, I love my work. And she says, so did Hitler. <laughs> Uh, well, when he says to her, it's like, oh, you think you're real you know, smart and pretty. And she's like, he says, you're not smart, but you sure are pretty. It's like, yeah. shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> she's both. What She is. She is. And the thing is, that's so, I mean, that men exist that think that talking to a woman like that is a turn on to them just completely <laughs> boggles my mind. But I know it's the case because my wife has told me plenty of stories. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's just i i don't get that i mean i don't get how trying to exude your quote-unquote dominance over someone is going to win someone over it's ridiculous so or insulting them or insulting them yeah (laughs) and that happens in both of these movies yeah in key moments now this doesn't go as far as thelma louise does with that but it's a grody scene (laughs) but it's an important scene in the sense that hey, we now definitely hate Bobby and we know why. (laughs) You know, whereas before it's just sort of like, "Eh, he's just kind of smarmy. He's just sort of looking down on people. And Red comes in and... Yeah. I love how Red comes in, sees what's happening. He does the same thing to Bobby too. Yeah. He kind of corners him, puts his arm up, Mm -hmm. not letting him go. Does the same thing that he did to her and sort of tries to put him in his place. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And th- Don't no, be a there's fucking a, asshole. There's another thing I forgot to mention about Red earlier that I thought was an interesting scene. After they find the body in the trunk of the car. Now, Sally's new to the field. This is her first time in the field. She goes and throws up. Mm-hmm. And you can tell she's kind of embarrassed by the fact that she couldn't handle that. And Red makes a joke. And then he says to her, just a bit of gallows humor. Otherwise, we'd all be puking our guts out. So I think that's an important moment there, too, because he's trying to assure her that we've all been there. This isn't just you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think he sees her as an equal more than she's realizing or he's really necessarily letting on at that point in the movie. Oh, yeah. Those are interesting character touches because, you know, Eastwood is sort of acknowledges himself as part of a generation of men that doesn't show a lot of emotion that doesn't let people in. And that character that he's playing in this, for sure, definitely wouldn't yes. be. But he does with her. He does with her. That's right. That's right. And I think that's a powerful and effective thing, even though it's subtle. Uh, and I like that about Red's character. <laughs> that scene in the diner. <laughs> the ham- First of all, the diner is called Dottie's Squat and Gobble, <laughs> <laughs> which made me laugh really long. That's pretty funny. I missed that. That's very funny. She's not Dottie. What's her? I can't remember her name. Eileen. Eileen. 
she's rather forward in this scene. Yes. <laughs> um, she she's because well, she's she's kind of like running the restaurant yeah. all by herself. They're the only ones in there. <laughs> she's lonely. She's interested. She's maybe she's maybe feeling. <laughs> like, she's like Kevin Costner is at the prime of his <laughs> of everything right here. Right. He's yeah. he's looking good. He's looking good. So he tells Philip to head outside to the car. And <laughs> <laughs> well, first she's like leaning over. To yeah, is she down her, her shirt? shirt and like yeah. taking a bite of his pickle. Yeah, it's pretty clear what she's <laughs> real interested subtle, in. Real yeah. subtle, real subtle, Eileen. Philip sees him through the window. <laughs> I like the conversation. The conversation in the car. car he sees him. He's best. like, "Oh, damn it! Are you mad? No, nah, I'm not mad." I don't know if he's really mad, but he's got blue balls at that moment, no doubt. Excuse me. I don't know how else to put it. I was taking a drink. Yeah, sorry about that. He's he's all revved up with no place to go. Let's put it that way. Yes. So they head out to the car, and you were kissing her butt. <laughs> you kissed her butt. Yeah, it's like, well, it's like. Do you love her? Yeah, I love yeah, her. I, love I kissed her. her butt, didn't I? <laughs> that might be my favorite kevin costner line of all time that's such a funny scene i love that it's it's and the thing is it could be gross but it's it's pretty entertaining it's pretty funny yeah i think uh eastwood as a director strikes a balance between the humor and sort of the darkness of the movie pretty nicely mm-hmm. and he he's does. able to shift those those tones pretty deftly but then you have where philip says he wants to go home which i don't know it's kind of sad i feel a little sad in that scene yeah I mean, I get it, but I think you feel a little bit what Butch is feeling there. What, you don't like me? A little bit of a betrayal. Yeah. yeah. And then he asks him, well, why didn't you stay at the store then? He says, because I stole. They'll put me in jail and I'll probably go to hell. Same difference, right? <laughs> That's what Butch says. So then we cut to the scene that, you know, until we started talking a little bit off mic, that I thought was, is this really the nece- a necessary scene? I think it's a completely necessary okay, scene. Can, okay, so take this one. Can, can you, are you willing to take this scene a little bit to talk through it a little bit? Sure. So it's just Sally and Red sitting around the campfire at night. And it's a great and... scene. It's a great scene. That's, yes. that's, my, that's my thing about it is I really like it as a scene. But I wasn't convinced that it was needed for the movie as a whole. It very much is, I would say, okay. because I don't remember how it's it's set up. I think Sally knew knows something about his background that she hasn't told him yet. That Red, what was it called again? Um, he was made the amicus curiae, some kind of a legal term, amicus curiae, I think, of, of Butch when he was a kid. All right. Kind of like that he was, like we were, like we've been saying with the father-son relationships he was basically legally like his parent and then kind of maybe in charge of his legal <laughs> situation whatever he yeah, was in because i don't know how that shit works yeah, I'm, I'm not but exactly basically the... um basically red is the one who uh, suggested to the judge when he was a kid to send him to juvie yeah instead of going back home because he knew that his father was abusive mm-hmm so you thought this wasn't important. I think it's super important because... I think I misunderstood what was going on. I yeah. thought that it was Red that sent him up. To, I was thinking in my head. I wasn't thinking Juvie. I was thinking that it was Red that sent him up to prison, this sentence that he just escaped from. 
but that's not the case. And so with, since I misunderstood the scene clearly, which is interesting because I've seen this movie before and this was a new viewing for you, uh, <laughs> That changes my opinion of the scene and makes the movie a five-star movie for me. Because yeah. right now I have it sitting in my letterbox at four and a half. But I'm, I may have to change that back to five. Well, am I misunderstanding it now? No, I don't think <laughs> I don't so. I, think, I, th- I don't think so. I think you're right. I think you're right. because and that, and that opens it up because there's still distance between them. It's not like they really they haven't had a scene knew together, each yeah. other. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so that that makes it. A I just I felt situation. a lot, and it plays into the father Red. and son theme because mm-hmm. I felt a lot from Red while he was telling the story that he had a lot of guilt, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what's driving him in this situation with Butch in the movie, because he felt like at the time that he was doing the right thing. Yeah, probably by sending him to juvie, like. You know, he, I think he says something about how he's seen kids come out of there better. Yeah. And obviously Butch hasn't. You know, Butch has gone back to prison. You know, obviously they're in this situation now where he is a dangerous situation where he has a child hostage. Mm-hmm. And I think he feels guilty or responsible for that, for the way that Butch turned out. Earlier, I think when, when you were saying, like, um, if they have a shot, don't take it. Right. Like, he doesn't want him killed. He wants him to get out of the situation alive. And I think it's yeah. it's guilt. And you see that at the end a lot, too. Oh, sure. More more so. And I I guess I was pitting it against the line where he says, I hope they escape. I hope they get across the border and I don't have to deal with this anymore. Because he feels responsible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he doesn't want to have to make the ultimate decision about what to do about Butch, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a good interpretation of that. And I wasn't thinking along those terms, I don't think. Yeah, that really does change my mind about the scene. First of all, I think the scene is one of the most beautifully shot scenes in the whole movie. It's this night Mm -hmm. scene and you just have the firelight and you have just the way it's set up. There's there's an intimacy, and I I use that term cautiously because there's no sexual intimacy. No. There's no romantic romantic kind of tension at all between red and sally and there never is and i think that the movie's all the better for that because it's it would have been tacked on and it wouldn't have been real but what they have instead is sort of a there is sort of a professional form of intimacy that's happening in this scene that is effective and the chemistry between the two characters as people who admire each other is very strong it's kind of a shame that laura dern and clint eastwood didn't do more together because i think that they work really well together in this movie but i guess eastwood didn't really doesn't really i guess he's still working he's got a new movie coming out pretty soon here um <laughs> yeah, he does. yeah doesn't really repeat using the same actors very often except himself he uses himself <laughs> in, in lots of movies but yes yes <laughs> so okay yeah that changes my view of that scene i think so that's good now we're kind of getting towards this closing section where there are really only two big scenes left in the whole movie Now, the first one is where they're hiding out in the cornfield in the car and the farmer finds them and actually brings Butch and Philip into his home. Now, is the woman the mother of the child or? No, I didn't think so. I didn't. She looks too old for that. So you have Mac and Cleve, right? And then I can't I can't remember her name. Lottie. Lottie. Okay. So it's um, 
a small African-American family. They have... It's not their farm. He works He works it. their yeah. farm and lives in this house. Now, they have sort of these nice interactions for a lot of it. Uh, they get along mm-hmm. really well. There's no... And that's one of the things about this. I don't feel like racial tension. I don't either. Uh, no. I, you would expect it, obviously, for the time, but I, yeah. I don't get that. And I also get the impression that... It, it feels like it's written in a way where it could have been played. It didn't have to be a racial sure, situation. Yeah. But the, the fact that it is adds something to the tension. I can't quite put my finger on exactly, to be honest, because it's not exactly important, <laughs> if, if it makes sense to the scene. But it gives it another dimension. I think it also, it feels so dumb to say this, but it almost kind of endears you a little bit more to Butch at first when they're getting along so well because yeah. just because of the time period and you know the racial tension that it doesn't seem to matter at all to him you know they yeah. get along really well he connects with Dottie you know because of music and the yes. records that they have you know and he's him playing, playing with, with Cleve yeah flipping him over and stuff it's really cute yeah but, but then it uh, turns it turns so quickly because Mac the father smacks Cleve. Well, first, there's another thing from Costner when Mac is in the bathroom and he's he hears on the radio about yes. them escaping and Butch goes in there to talk to him. And it's another one of those looks from him. He's like, don't do anything stupid or I'll kill you all. Yeah. And he's like so scary in that one little moment. He really is because hasn't he is. hasn't Mac pulled out his knife at that point? Yeah, he was just like playing with it, and Butch takes it away from him yeah. and has a little moment. Ugh. But yeah, he Mac had smacked Cleve earlier. Yeah. The tension in this sequence is almost unbearable. It is. Ultimately, what happens is, okay, he he ends up tying up Mac, and then um, Dottie starts saying the Lord's Prayer, so he puts duct tape over her mouth. Well, he just turns so instantly when, after they have the scene in the bathroom, and he tells Mac, ask Cleve to come to him or whatever, and he says, like, you know, can't you hear me, boy, whatever. Yeah, he smacks him, and just, Costner just has that little thing where he goes, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. And he launches into him. Just. beating the shit out of him exactly it's just like when he sees the mother in the station wagon sort of go off his he just turns stone-faced mm-hmm. but i think it's just been building up it like has said, been. there was like this it, he saw terry uh-huh. hit philip he saw the mother mm-hmm. with their children and like this is just like he's done yeah he's had it he just blows up that's part of this sequence i guess where he's has cleave sit on mac's lap and he's pointing the gun at mac and says tell him you love him it's so tense and it's and you just tell him like you mean it why do you think he goes so far i think he's scene, though? probably just lost control of himself to be honest yeah all of the rage of his father's abuse of him and his abandonment of him and anyone who's tried to hurt philip i think has just piled up like you said and he has just yeah. lost control of his abilities to keep it in check I think is what's going on. And, you know, even Cleve, you know, is terrified and he's making him do more flips with him. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it is hard, it's so hard to watch because he goes, he goes so far, like tying them up and then putting the tape over They're, Lottie and Cleve's mouths and yeah. taping them together yeah. and telling Philip to leave because he's mm-hmm. obviously going to shoot Mac. First, he says, I'm not going to tell you what to do because you're old enough oh, yeah, now yeah. to decide. 
If you want to stay and watch me blow this guy's head off, you can. He doesn't say that, but that's basically what he's saying, yeah. But then while he's putting the tape over over Mac's mouth, right, he reaches down for the gun and it's not there. And I was kind of like, oh. That's a gasp. <laughs> Damn, Philip. Yeah, that is a gasp yeah. moment. That is a holy shit moment because uh, we see that Philip has the gun and is holding it on, not on Mac, is holding it on Butch. And he's like, all right, give me the gun. And he shoots him, you know, shoots him in the gut. Shoots gut, him, sh- yeah. gut shoots him. Gut shoots him, exactly. Very slow, painful way yeah. today. Yeah. I, I wrote down here when Philip has the gun, chills. Truly, truly. And I think that in a way kind of snaps Butch out of it in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's not much he can do at this point. You know, Philip puts, throws the gun in the well. We see him throw the gun in the well. Then, though, Butch pulls out the knife, just kind of slowly opens it, and is walking directly towards camera, which is in Mac's point of view. That's terrifying, too. It's really scary. (laughs) And then he just puts the knife on the coffee table and leaves. And he says, thanks for your hospitality. He's all about being polite. He is. Weirdest situations. Yeah. He chases after Philip. Uh, there's sort of the discovery that they're in this field and he tells Philip, I wasn't going to kill him. I only killed two people in my life. One hurt my mama and one hurt you. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I really believe him though. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say, but I think at the same time no, that he wouldn't have killed Mac. Uh, that he wouldn't have killed Mac. I see. I see what you mean. I think he might have. I think he was there. Boy, that's, it's just a tense sequence. And But somehow when he says that and this interaction with Philip in the field and by the tree and everything, he kind of wins you back again, even though we've seen how dangerous and frightening he can be. He's bleeding to death, obviously. He pulls out the Alaska postcard again and says, you know, this was from my father. And he reads this. So he was heading to Alaska to try and find his father, the good for nothing father who who beat him. And it's just I don't even know what to say (laughs) about it. It's sort of a feeling in the movie that's hard to put into words for me. Yeah, I don't know. Because you get the sense, too, that because Philip is crying when he's running away from the house, like he didn't want to do that to Butch. But he had to, Mm -hmm. obviously, in the moment to to save Mac and save the family. But I don't know. There's a lot of emotional stuff going on. There really is. (laughs) That I I can't can't really uh, understand or like put my finger on like what it means. Yeah, it's. It's something that you kind of need to wrestle with in this movie, I think. Yeah. And it's it's funny because, okay, so the police have surrounded them. Uh, Red and the crew there have caught up along with lots of other police. The mother is being flown in on a helicopter. Mm-hmm. The rocket ship, you know, from his, <laughs> from his wish list, right? Yep. And now the hostage negotiations are funny because they're all about Philip. You know, get all the candy that you can (laughs) get some candy. I'll deliver you up a ghost, you know, and then he says, and then you got to promise that you take him to the carnival, that he can have cotton candy and ride roller coasters. As Butch is dying, he's still thinking about Philip and wanting him to be a kid and experience the things that he hasn't gotten to because of his mom. But there's a nice scene there where she says she promises Mm -hmm. and Butch asks him, can we trust her? And he says, yeah, (laughs) she's a real good mama yeah you know you get the sense that yes she is oh of course she is yeah i mean she's up at four freaking in the morning four o'clock in the morning (laughs) making eggs for the family you know i mean she's she's very kind to these children you see that oh of course she is yeah 
you just kind of feel a little bad for any kind of kid that doesn't get to be a kid fully. You do. Yeah. That's that's what Butch thinks he's in him. Yeah. And when Philip says, you ain't bad, are you, Butch? And he just says, yeah. Uh, again, sort of an enigmatic answer. Which one answer. does that mean? It's sort of an <laughs> yeah. enigmatic answer. Again. It can mean either one. <laughs> okay. So Bobby Bradley, Whitford's character, has a, sniper. has a sniper rifle and he's got it pointed at Butch, ready to shoot. And Red says... Well, both Red and Sally have been very much against taking him out. Oh, yeah. This whole time. Yeah. Definitely. And Red just pulls out his gun... And sets it on the car and walks out towards him and says, don't shoot without my signal. And he actually walks all the way out to him. Do I know you? Not really. I think that is mm-hmm. interesting exchange. To me, this is a little bit like De Niro and Pacino meeting in heat. He says. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a great <laughs> moment. It's very brief. But it's the point we've been waiting for, I think, to see Eastwood yeah. and Costner in a scene together. Uh, for this film, at least. It also seems like the first time that... The characters have ever actually met each other. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know that he probably was never even in the same room with him when he oh, was a Oh, I'm kid. sure he wasn't. You know? Yeah. So it's kind of a big moment for him. Yeah. In a way. And, and he just reaches for that postcard in his pocket to give to Philip, and Bobby assumes it's a gun and shoots him. Yep. I mean, and that looks like a kill shot, to be honest with you, because yeah, I mean, it's like, like right, shot right, like right in the, the heart. heart. <laughs> you know, you so he, but he he hangs out for a while. But like longer. Philip, but like he falls over and like Philip pulls him up, yeah. so that he can like embrace him. It's like he's just been shot. Maybe don't touch him. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's doubtful he would have survived that right. shot long enough to be able to have the sort of final moments of the movie. Yeah. but uh, you know that movie, little movie little stuff. little bit of suspension of disbelief, sure. But the point is, we know he's not going to make it for sure at this point. And it was pretty touch and go even before that with a shot in his gut. It's just sort of uh, the, you know laying on the grass and Eastwood. And, and I hadn't even remembered this happened in the movie. But when Eastwood walks back up, the first thing he walks straight up to Bradley Whitford and just punches him in the face. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> he didn't wait for my signal. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And, and 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 that's <laughs> cathartic enough. But then, yes, <laughs> and I, 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 I even I even wrote that down. I said that punched at Bradley Whitford is so cathartic. And then after that, Laura Dern goes over and knees him in the nuts, and it's like, yeah, even better. You know, that's perfect. Yeah, it is. It is everything that we want as an audience at the end of a movie once that mm-hmm. happens. And so, and so here is like, OK, this guy is the villain of this movie. There aren't really yep. villains. I mean, Terry's a villain, but there are antiheroes and complex characters and gray, lots of shades of gray. But uh, mm-hmm. Bradley Whitford, I think, in the his character, I, you know, I keep on saying not Bradley Whitford, his character, Bobby, is the villain Bobby. of this film. Gosh, that last discussion, though, be, as well, between Eastwood and Dern, where she says to him, you did everything you could, you know, and he says, I don't know nothing. Not one damn thing. It's just, I mean, it's kind of a perfect ending line in a lot of ways for this one. Because I think there Doesn't is an really element of not really much. knowing what yeah. what we've seen entirely. You know, how do we process all this? Uh, nobody comes out of this movie looking great, really. Mm-hmm. Except for Philip, I think. But even Philip, you know, he <laughs> shot a guy. He shot a man, yeah. you know. Um, but then we have that closing again where he's laying in the grass and the money that he gave to Philip 
is falling out of his shirt and flying around him, uh, flying yeah. around Butch, and the helicopter is taking off and kind of ends where it began, except now we see that he's, in fact, dying and that this is not a perfect world. This is a very broken world. Still kind of peaceful looking in a way, though. It is. And at the end, I think Eastwood really lingers on that sort of pastoral setting as, yes. as it closes out. And it's an ironic title, um, oh, yeah. but it's kind of the perfect title, no pun intended. And it's pretty close to Laura Dern says it earlier. She does. She does. They say something like in in a perfect world, this would Mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. For me, this is pretty close to a perfect movie. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, and it's really well constructed and challenging and interesting and has a lot going on with it. And I, uh, you know, Patrick Bromley posted the other day, besides Unforgiven, what's your favorite movie directed by Clint Eastwood? And I immediately answered A Perfect World, mm-hmm. though I, th- I think he's got a lot of great ones that he's directed. I think The Outlaw Josie Wales is damn near a masterpiece. I think that High Plains Drifter and Pale Rider really interesting yes. movies unforgiven of course but even like mystic river and million dollar baby are, i love mystic river yeah mystic river is incredibly powerful i would never want to talk about that movie because that movie is so fucking depressing but i love it yeah yeah <laughs> you know? I, i've only seen it the once There's... i've never been able to see it again I've even seen Million Dollar Baby twice, but I haven't seen uh, Mystic River a second time. Because it is the most depressing movie ever made. (laughs) It just makes you feel awful. It's definitely up there. Yeah. God. But uh, a pretty incredible movie, though. So anyway, yeah, Eastwood, you know, tends to not make happy movies. He tends to make downbeat films that I think deal with heavy grown-up themes Mm -hmm. but he does it so well I don't know if he's made a really great movie since Mystic River maybe Million Dollar Baby Uh, but that's Gran Torino oh I I I, good I like Gran Torino it's I do but it's uh, it's it's got some it's got some stuff that I'm not cool with i don't know i haven't seen it in a while yeah and also i think starting with gran torino kind of went towards making movies with non-actors that make give them a different feel too and i haven't seen a whole lot after gran torino to be honest i haven't seen uh richard jewel or the 517 to paris or whatever that one is you know i for me he's probably the greatest star turned director though i think kevin costner is done some pretty good stuff as a director as well. Um, but he's done some pretty bad stuff as a director too. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta, gotta go there. But so is Be Eastwood. Fair. Eastwood's made some turkeys as well, but yeah, I loved this. Movie. Very, was, very few very filmmakers happy. have a flawless record. <laughs> I was very happy to see this movie. I I really loved it. And like you said, yeah, there's way more complex than I expected it to be. Just knowing the plot, I thought it was just going to be a typical on the road. And isn't it cute that this criminal and this boy teaming up? But no, there's way more to get into with it that I really appreciate it. I appreciate movies that do stuff like that. Yeah. I probably saw this for the first time when I was 15, and even at that age, it just sort of hit me really profoundly as a really terrific movie. You know, it's not one I watch a lot because, well, you know, it's it's dark and it's depressing. It's, <laughs> it, got, it's got funny It's moments. got funny stuff going on, too. It balances out the humor yeah. with the depressing pretty well, I would say. Yeah. 
Hi everyone, we hope you enjoyed our discussion on A Perfect World. We began a discussion on Thelma and Louise, but it didn't really go in a way that either of us were happy with, so we decided to set it aside for now, and we will hopefully revisit it and release it as a bonus episode at a later time. Uh, So coming up next time, we will be back. We've already recorded our episode on a double feature of Child's Play and Child's Play 2. And it's a lot of fun, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye.